2: Welcome back party people to the place everybody wants to be, you know it, you love it, it of course is Victory Lane. Hope everybody's staying safe, staying healthy, uh, enjoying the winter wonderland as it made its way up along the east coast. Do not be like me and step outside wearing your snowproof boots and slip in your first three steps and take a tumble and have your knees swollen and hurt after slipping on ice, but hey! Part of it, right? That's what it is. Today's episode 86, we have media mogul, Jamie Little, on as the star of the show. She needs no introduction because she has accomplished so incredibly much, was very gracious with her time, gave me about 40 or so minutes, but I only got to about half of the things I wanted to touch on because she has accomplished so much and done so much. So even though it doesn't say part one in the episode title, just know that we'll be having Jamie back on uh, probably early next year around Daytona time or so as she's able to help us preview some of her new upcoming ventures that have to do in the media world hint hint Netflix hint hint but uh, she was great she was awesome and I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing my chat with her but before we get to any of that we got to pay homage to somebody special with the help of a frequent guest on victory lane if you're confused don't be pops Take it away. And guys, if you're listening, might want to strap in for this one.
1: Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to a very special Racing Numerology segment. Today we have an in-studio guest for number 86.
0: Hey, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. We'll hear from him shortly. 320 starts for the 86 in the Cup Series, though it's been more than 25 years since the number's been run. Buck Baker scored the only win for the 86 at Hartville Speedway in South Carolina in 1961. Yeah, whatever. You okay over there? Neil Castles had 96 starts in the 86, the most for the number. His nickname was Soapy. He got it from racing soapbox derby cars as a kid. (laughs) Ha ha! You like that, huh? Well, you should love this. Peter Golenbach tells a funny story about Castles in his book American Zoom.
0: Like I care.
1: Castles was a tail end runner of the old days who once found himself having an uncharacteristically good day. He had lapped Curtis Turner, a superstar of the day, but the flagman apparently didn't believe it and kept giving Castles the move over flag to let Turner around him. (laughs) As Castles told the story... The starter kept doing this and I was getting real mad. So I picked up my gun and when I come by the stand the next time, I took aim and shot the flag out of his hand.
0: You got to be kidding me.
1: I know, seems too crazy to be true. But what do I keep telling you all? They were different times. <laughs> Other notables we could discuss who drove the 86 car include Tim Flock, Buddy Baker, and road racing ace Elliot Forbes Robinson.
0: Okay, when do we get to the part where I win and you lose?
1: (sighs) Okay, how about now? But one name stands out above all others when you think about a race car with the number 86 on the side. Yeah! That would be Chick Hicks, driver of the green number 86 Hostile Takeover Bank HTB car in the Cars movie franchise, and we're fortunate to have Chick with us today.
0: Get your cameras ready, because here comes the thunder!
1: Chick Hicks, welcome to the podcast.
0: Yeah, baby! Kachuga! Kachuga! Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Of course, not as good as it is to see me. (laughs) What? No racetrack? What is this place? Am I missing something? Where's the cameras? The girls? The confetti? Who wants an autograph? Anyone? Anyone?
1: Uh, Chick, this is our Victory Lane studio. This is a podcast interview, remember?
0: You gotta be kidding me! So is this all we do? We just hang out here? Are you kidding me? I want a recount! Call my lawyer! And a tow truck!
1: Chick, relax, dude. This is simple. I ask you a few questions, you answer them, and you'll be out of here, okay?
0: Yeah, yeah, whatever. We are gonna get this race started or what? How about starting with some jumper cables? This place is putting me to sleep.
1: I see we're off to a rousing start.
0: What's the matter? Can't handle the thunder?
1: <laughs> Chick, you played a largely antagonistic role in cars. You had a reputation for wrecking other cars, and your nickname was Runner Up because you always lost to the king.
0: Oh, you gotta be kidding me. The king? Seriously? Like that old guy stands a chance against me.
1: Well, the results don't lie, Chick. You didn't win with the notable exception of the Dinoco 400 where you caused mass mayhem with the early race crash you caused, as we've chronicled in prior episodes, and you flat out wrecked the king at the end to take the win. Hey, you!
0: Yeah, you! (laughs) Ha ha! You smell that? That's the scent of a winner, baby! Oh yeah! You think you're pretty tough, don't ya? But I can smash more of those Dinoco crates than you can! Probably do it with my eyes closed. Not that I'm gonna. Oh, yeah! What broke those crates? Thunder! Kachuga! Kachuga! Do you know who you're messing with?
1: I'm not messing with you, Chick. I'm just trying to get some answers from you about your racing tactics and your reputation for being a bad boy racer.
0: What? Watch where you're going! I don't have to put up with this! You'll pay for this!
1: Once again, you're avoiding the question. Can I please get a straight answer out of you, Chick? (laughs) uh i'll take that as a no then
0: nice try for you that is come on everybody knows i'm gonna win but second place is all yours baby really what are you looking at me for what am i supposed to get a blubbery now well forget it there's no way i'm losing to him again
1: fair enough on a more positive note you'll be happy to hear that you're a favorite in my house with my wife as well as my son. They're both big fans of your kachigas.
0: <laughs> I love it! Yeah, baby! Kachika, kachika! Woohoohoo! Alright! Yeah!
1: But getting back to some tougher questions.
0: That last stunt challenge was a joke. I like to do a little thing called racing to choose the real winner. What do you say to a little race right here in the stunt park?
1: Uh, I don't have a race car, and this isn't a stunt park.
0: What's to know? First one past the finish line wins, baby. You gonna race me or what?
1: Hmm, I'll have to say no to that one.
0: Yeah, that's what I figured. Don't look so surprised. I told you I'd win.
1: That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our special guest.
0: Hey, I'm Chick Hicks. You already knew that, right?
1: For appearing with us today.
0: What's the matter? Can't handle the thunder? <laughs> <laughs> Laugh it up. I'll be back.
1: You're one heck of an interview, chick.
0: Eh, you're all right. Thanks.
1: And back to you, Doof.
0: Hey, loser. Race you to the barn.
1: <laughs> well, that was something,
2: <laughs> wasn't it? Oh man, I hope that everybody listening can A, either get those references, some of those references, or just like understand the memeable quality of it and how that whole thing was just a meme and funny. We tried to get Michael Keaton on, but couldn't really find a good contact for him. Plus, I'm sure he probably has better things to do right now in the world than come on this podcast and talk about his role as Chick Hicks in the movie Cars, but that was cool. We finally got Chick Hicks on, special guest, Victory Lane. Number 86 on the track, number 3, maybe probably further down on the list in our hearts because he's an asshole on the track. Anyways, we'll start this episode off, as we always do, with a good, (laughs) old-fashioned... By the way, I haven't seen anybody claim their free 3-month Motor Trend subscription by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Texting Me, whatever... With the word reggaeton, except for the man you just heard, my own father, the man who I live with. So I'm disappointed in you guys. Please, if you want something, you got to go out and do it. I ain't going to give it to you. And I'm giving it to you right here on a silver platter. All you have to do is just follow the directions. Leave a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice using the word reggaeton in it. And if you do, you will be entered and probably win. A free three-month subscription to the Motor Trend app to watch NASCAR Under Pressure 2020. It is great. It is worth it. And I'm giving you the opportunity to watch it for free. All right? All right. Interview time. Jamie Little's on the show. NASCAR on Fox reporter. Now the new play-by-play voice of the Arkham Menards series, breaking barriers on that aspect of things, becomes the first female to be the play-by-play voice of a motorsports series, I believe, in North America. And that is just one of the many, many accomplishments that is on Jamie Little's resume. I mentioned it at the end of our interview, but you guys may know her as just a pit reporter. Get this. She's covered 11 Indy 500s, countless Daytona 500s, MotoGP, The X Games, Supercross, paintball, Westminster Dog Shows. She's a published author. There's a video game named after her. She's an entrepreneur, philanthropist. I don't think I forgot anything, but I may have. And she has done all of this with grace, humility, kindness, and at the top of the game within this industry. So as I said, I was able to chat with her for a little bit. She was super gracious with her time. Awesome to talk to, and I had only gotten a couple chances, like in passing, to speak with her at the racetrack. But I reached out to her agent, and she granted me some time. I was very thankful for that. And we chatted for a little bit before and after as well, it's just catching up on everything and getting to know each other a little bit better. I'm not going to spoil any of it, I'm going to let you guys hear for yourself. But this was one of my favorite interviews that I've done. In a long, long time, maybe ever here on Victor Lane, just because I had such a fun time doing it and learning more about Jamie. Everything flowed really well. And if I enjoyed it, I really hope you guys will too. So without further ado, here is media mogul, Jamie Little. Really honored and pleasure to have on somebody that I've looked up to for a long time in NASCAR and motorsports and broadcasting. And I think it's honestly fair to say a legend of the game. It's Jamie Little. You guys know her from NASCAR on Fox for the last few years, last handful of years on Fox, but now she has been named the new voice for the Arkham series as a play-by-play broadcaster. There's a lot to get into with you, Jamie, but first of all, I was just telling you off camera, you actually recognize me. So I'm glad that this wonderful mug of a face made an impression on you back in the day when we could go to the racetrack and interact.
3: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, thanks for having me, Davey. Yes, of course, you know, through this announcement with ARCA, I've gotten a lot of people reaching out wanting me to be on their podcast and wanting to do interviews. And, you know, you don't know most of them and some of them you do. So, yes, it's always nice to see a familiar face from the racetrack.
2: Absolutely. I like the background that you got there. Can you tell us a little bit about the stuff you got there? You see a Toyota helmet there, some Jimmy diecast. Yeah, die this, was, uh,
3: this was actually my pro celebrity um, helmet that I won the race. Um, you beat for Mike Toyota. Skinner. Yeah. You beat Mike Skinner. Yes. So that um, means a lot to me. Actually, this is pretty cool. Um, so all the competitors sign it. And right here, oh, wow. Alex Trebek signed it. We competed wow. against each other. Yeah. That's so amazing. we got to spend a few days in racing school together. Yeah. So yeah, got Jimmy Johnson bobblehead. This is pretty cool. When Sam Hornish Jr. raced, you know, in the IndyCar series, he was the man. And this was a replica of his helmet, which was my favorite helmet in the sport. So cool to have little things like that. Looks awesome. And uh, yeah, little knickknacks here and there. Just, I don't, I don't keep much. This one's pretty cool. This is an actual brick from Indianapolis Motor Speedway.
2: I'm jealous. And of course,
3: my, my history there, that means a lot.
2: Did you have to go in the river to find it or were, were you able to get it without getting wet?
3: <laughs> I think somebody else did that. Okay. <laughs> they actually gave it to me as a gift. My longtime spotter, Diana Hubbard, um, she and her husband had found that for me. So that was awesome. cool. This one I got this year. Check this out. This is a uh, horseshoe off of one of the Budweiser Clydesdales at wow. Daytona. Does it still smell enough.
2: like a Clydesdale?
3: Nope, just steal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. You can't have it stinking up your office, right?
3: Yeah, that is one of my favorite things is seeing I'm a huge animal lover. So having the Clydesdales, anytime they're at the racetrack, I make sure I make a beeline to where they are.
2: (laughs) I remember when I was younger, we would always go to the Budweiser displays and I was in awe by the horses. And then after two seconds, I was like, Dad, it smells. Can we leave? And then just ah, left. <laughs> but such that's a cool. Yeah, I know. I know. It's all right. I'm older and I'm more mature now. So we appreciate the animals for their majesty.
3: <laughs> yes. Well, you know, horse manure smells a lot better than dog manure. And I have four yes. dogs in here. So they'll probably bark at any minute.
2: <laughs> well, good. They're more than welcome to say hello. But uh no, that's it's great. cool because, you know, seeing everybody on Zoom, we're seeing a little peek behind the curtain into their lives in their home offices. And I know I saw some of the stuff that you did with Fox for their YouTube channel. During COVID nineteen and the stoppage, and I noticed that your background was like one of the best because you had a ton of mementos. So thanks for sharing some of those with us. It's pretty cool to see.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, just you know, doing it for so long, I don't keep much, but what I do keep yeah. is behind me. So when when COVID hit, my desk was actually flip flopped the other way, and it wasn't very exciting behind me. I had one yeah. calendar and a poster. Um, So I thought that's a cooler background. If you're going to have to sit and talk to somebody, you may as well have something interesting, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good deal. So Jamie, um, COVID changed stuff big time, like huge. And this conversation for the most part is going to be focused on you. But I want to start off with a question about your job because you had to patrol Cup Pit Road at some points all alone, solo. And that is something that for people that are in the industry know is a tall, tall task. And it is so hard to think about in theory, doing it in person. I feel like it had to be even 10 times harder than what you thought, considering that you weren't even able to see the people drivers, crew chiefs, owners, mechanics leading up to the race. You had to text and call them throughout the week. And then during the race, do all the work like a one man band.
3: Yeah, we did things so much different. I mean, Fox hats off to them and making it happen and figuring out who could be at the track and who couldn't, who, you know, it was all about safety. And most of our team was not at the racetrack. So some tracks we had two reporters going and others, it was just one of us. And Kentucky was my last race. And I did Xfinity and Cup by myself. And It is a tall task. I mean, it's not just a matter of if you can physically do it and mentally do it, because we can, Mm -hmm. but are you going to do them a good service? Are you going to tell the stories that need to be told, or are we going to miss some things? So that was... Key on my mind was okay. We need to make sure we cover the right stories and we cover anybody that falls out or anything developing. And and that's where it gets you know a little complicated because you have a whole pit road to cover. And the good thing was I was able to talk to some crew chiefs. Um, they'd let me go in the garage, but you get the crew chiefs to come out and you social distance. You get the information from them like normal. That was nice because we didn't have any fans, so it was like you could find the people you're looking for quite easily. Right. And usually that's not the case on a normal weekend um but the downside was not getting to see the drivers they'd show up at their car and i was lucky if i interviewed one or two of them but other than that you really don't get to talk to them so yes seeing what they're doing on social media texting with them doing zoom calls whatever it was to get those stories was so key
2: driver broadcasters they're just like us right just texting calling and zooming every single day of the week (laughs) it it, it gets a little monotonous at times but you got to do what you got to do in 2020.
3: That's right. And you know, it's interesting. I have to note we all have our own spotters that travel to every right. race. They're basically an extra set of eyes and ears, just like the driver has, but they're next to you and they're on pit road. They're taking notes. They're listening, scanning drivers, maybe that I'm not listening to. Cause I'll listen to like my top five, my exactly. fastest five cars. They, they listen to the rest and overall just what's going on in the race. So we usually have them. Well, they couldn't travel during COVID. So what we did Um, Our pit producer Pam Miller got a whole text chain together with all the PR representatives, which by the way, weren't at the track either. So they're having to listen, watch, scan all of this. So they would update information into this text chain and then it would get relayed to me or Regan or Matt, whoever was on Mm -hmm. pit road. So it actually ended up working out great, but it was just very different than we're used to
2: feel like that's that's a lot to juggle because you got your producer in one ear you got the feet in your other ear and you got your phone blowing up in your pocket the entire three-hour race that's ridiculous <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, see, I'm not usually one that uses my phone a whole lot. Sometimes I'll get like updates, but I'm I'm just not one of those reporters that's like on an yeah. iPad or like NBC, they use iPads, So they do everything digitally. And that's just not me. I'm old school. I like to write notes and I like to listen to producer and scanner and write my own notes. So yeah, it was a lot having all of those things. A lot of information was coming through.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't understand like the peak behind the curtain when it comes to live television and how fast pace of an environment. and it really is but thank you for giving us a little peek behind the curtain because i think people will have a newfound appreciation for it
3: yeah well there's a lot going on and it's just you know what goes on the air and and what doesn't what's important what do people want to know and i think that's the hardest part meanwhile there's a race going on that really doesn't stop (laughs) thankfully now we have stage breaks that really does help reset you know and and it helps people not miss anything
2: Yeah, stage breaks for us, bathroom breaks for everybody at home.
3: (laughs) Exactly, yep. (laughs) Jamie,
2: your story is really, really inspiring, and we're going to hit on as much as we can in the time that we have allotted, but the spark notes of it is, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of it, you wanted to be involved in motorsports and motocross specifically, so you pretty much asked how to do that and then paved your own path with going up to a camera operator, I think it was, and basically saying, hey, how can I be involved? And then you followed him around for two and a half years, didn't make a dime off of it, and you wound up getting from place to place, and here you are today. I know that's like a big, big stretch to touch on, but is that about right?
3: That's a long story made short, and you're very accurate. Good job. Yes, exactly. I would follow him around at the local races in Southern California and Nevada, and I would have my hand in the shot for dirt races, and then we started doing some supercross races, and Mm -hmm. my hand would be on ESPN, but I wasn't, so I I just (laughs) – I made that a goal that I wanted to be on camera, I wanted to be the one that you heard my question and you saw the interviews and I got so hungry and that that's really what kind of how everything transpired and um, I did it for a long time and then I got the live announcing gig because they kind of saw my work and I asked them to give me a shot. So they did and uh, so I did the live announcing at all the major stadiums. We travel on the weekend, I would go to college during the week. so. I was busy, but I was already living my dream and already kind of paving that way. I kind of saw everything unfolding the way that I foresaw my future.
2: Let's go back a little bit because you went to high school in Vegas. And actually, I have some family in Henderson, so I know that area pretty well. That's where my high
3: school was.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, And then you went to San Diego State for college. And I know you majored in journalism. But did you know that when you went there that you wanted to be in the field? Or was it more so like, well, this seems interesting because it seems like an avenue I can get into sports with?
3: I actually started going to college because I loved reporting and I knew that I wanted to do it for racing. Um, And I just, I realized then I really didn't want to go to college. I wasn't good in school and my parents didn't go to college. So it just wasn't a thing for me. I wanted to get out in the world and just figure it out. So I did, I moved to LA at 18 but my love did not waver when it came to racing. And I realized like, okay, this I need to turn into something. And there's no women doing it. So why not be that one? I have so many great contacts and I was getting to know the the riders in Supercross so well and everybody that was involved. Um, So it just kind of took me down that lane and I realized, okay, Just in case this stuff doesn't work out, I need to have a plan B and I need to get my degree just to prove that I can do it. And I put myself, you know, through four years, four and a half years of college. So I graduated with a journalism degree because, you know, somebody told me at some point, go to school to learn to write. Go for journalism. Don't go for television or broadcast because that'll come later. But you need to learn how to write so that you know how to speak.
2: Yeah, that's I, I'm I'm glad you said that because something that I've tried to like brand myself as is like a multimedia journalist and reporter, right? That can write, talk, edit, shoot, do the whole nine because the foundation of being on radio or being on television is to be good with your words and that comes from a good writing base. And I see that Absolutely. a lot of people not only in NASCAR but in the sports industry in general, they started from be it a newspaper or getting a print broad or print journalism degree from college. So that does make sense. So you went a little bit of a of a concrete route there, but also you paved your own path totally, um, and you started on supercross stuff because that was what got you into motorsports. I think when you were 14 or so years old, because that just was yeah. the West Coast California vibe type. Yeah, thing.
3: <laughs> exactly. And I was an only child, and you know I I was raised in Lake Tahoe, moved to Vegas when I was 13, mm-hmm. and we didn't have professional sports, and my mom wasn't into sports really, so. I didn't have a reason to really follow stick and ball, but when I, I, I don't know, there was something about dirt bikes, the smell of a dirt bike, a quad, whatever, something that was motorized when I was little in Lake Tahoe, I would make friends with those people. and like, yeah. oh, let me ride, let me ride. I just loved it. And it kind of stuck with me. There was something about the smell and the feel of riding a dirt bike And then when I started meeting these guys at 15 and 16 that were my age, that were traveling all over the country, they were being homeschooled, they were sacrificing their bodies. I just remember, I remember like yesterday, like, I need to tell these stories. Like, this is incredible life. This is real life happening.
2: Did you ever want to be a racer yourself? Did you see no girls on the grid and you're like, hey, maybe I can do that?
3: I never wanted to race dirt bikes because I just saw so many bad things happen. But I did want to race cars a little bit. And I went to racing school. I got my racing license, my SCCA license. You beat Mike Skinner. uh, And then I did, yes, the Toyota Pro (laughs) Celebrity Race. I mean, I took it seriously. I I loved it. But I am very happy with where I am and and the decision I made to stick with broadcasting and not going for racing
2: think you made the right choice.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a little more longevity there, right? And and, uh, I'll be making some money and not losing it. all.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I would say so. So I mentioned the story of how you basically went up to a camera operator and grinded for two and a half years, not making a dime. Can you tell that story a little bit more? Was it literally as it seems like going up to a random person and basically just asking questions?
3: Yeah, I, I was always brave. I was never one that like you know, hid behind my thoughts and and just kind of pushed them aside. If I mm-hmm. wanted to do something, I went for it. I was like that since the day I was born. Much to my mom's chagrin, I would drive her crazy <laughs> because I was just hard headed and, um, you know, I would just go after things. And um, I was at a race, and I was already kind of in this mindset of, man, this is really the path I want to do, and and I want to be involved. So I saw this guy with an ESPN microphone, a camera. He was shooting this race in San Diego. And I, I made my way down there because I had credentials like to be there. I was with some buddies and went down there and introduced myself. And he's like, yeah, I'm the freelance shooter here in San Diego for ESPN's Moto World and some other stuff on ESPN. He's like, you're more than welcome to tag along and go to the local races, you know, and and just learn to write, learn to ask questions and all that. I did it, like you said, for two and a half years. I mean, it was even that guy that, um, I mean, he was so great. and He ended up mentoring a lot of people coming up. as journalists but we ended up going to uh, bike week to cover the Daytona Supercross for his website this guy and uh, I actually met Jimmy Johnson and um, I already knew Rick Johnson he happened to be part of it so I met Jimmy Johnson back it was like 99 or something was the first time I ever met him yeah he was racing like an ACA car, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Myrna. So, yeah, a small world.
2: <laughs> wow. That has to go way back. And that made also, I know we're jumping around too, but I know you had a, a pretty cool embrace with Jimmy on the grid at Phoenix too, because like you said, you met him in 99. So, this has been multiple decades of a friendship and personal relationship going in a professional sense, of course but also yeah. on a friendship level as well. So that made that day in Phoenix all the more special for both of you probably.
3: Yeah, it's really, I mean, when you cover these guys for so long and you have such a history, it's hard not to have friends out there, you know, I mean, Absolutely. there just comes a time where like Jimmy posted uh, Phoenix weekend, like, thank you for your friendship and everything that you've done over the years. Like that means the world to somebody like us who've yeah. been grinding, you know, and covering them for so long, but he had such an impact on me and just watching him come up through the ranks. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time and, and to have such a classy human being like that to look up to, it meant a lot. And it was sad on the grid to, to give him that hug, but I know yeah. that's not the last race we're going to see him. in, so that made it a little easier.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree. We'll, we'll see him plenty this year. might not be all NASCAR, but we'll see him plenty for sure.
3: Yes, exactly.
2: So, You also worked at ESPN for more than a decade, and it was after that two-and-a-half-year period of following that freelance photographer around and paying your dues and whatnot that you were finally able to get that shot on air. And I believe the first big gig that you got was that with the X Games?
3: Yes. um, I had actually gotten, in the meantime, um, I don't even remember how it came about, but I got a network job for NBC to cover the Gravity Games, which was a competitor to X Games. That was 2000 and 2001. Gabrielle Reese, myself, and a couple guys all hosted the, the Gravity Games. and. That was huge. I look back now, I still have a copy of the check, my first network check, but wow. that kind of got lost in the shuffle because it was ESPN I really wanted to be at because they had racing and that's really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had seen all this, the, the boss who was in charge of all talent for all motorsports, he was aware of what I was doing and I had called him, I think after I did that. And I was told, like, you work for NBC, you're not going to get a chance on ESPN now. Like, they were just serious rivals back then. Like, you just didn't share people. You didn't see one jump from, you know, one ship to the other. And I called him. His name was Rich Feinberg. I got his phone number after just digging and digging. And I sold myself for 20 minutes and basically just said everything that I had done to pave my way. And I wanted to be part of it and to give me a chance. And he's like, I'll give you a chance. But, you know, you, you let me down. You don't work out. You're done. I'm like, okay, so he said, I'm gonna put you on X Games. So I did X Games in 2002 and uh, the rest was history. He was literally my boss until I left ESPN in 2014.
2: Get one chance, don't mess it up and you didn't mess it up. <laughs>
3: Thankfully, I'm sure I did in certain ways, but it was good enough for him.
2: (laughs) Well, you got the check, right? So it's all good.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, in some of those steps, like he's the one that asked me if I wanted to do IndyCar. And then he's the one that told me I was part of the super team for um, ESPN's coverage of NASCAR. I mean, he's the one that took me along for the ride, but I'm sure that there were times for somebody like him, like, all right, we're taking a chance, like we've never had a woman in this role. So, you know, if she makes us look bad, it's going to look bad on us too. So I'm sure that there's something to that for people taking a risk with somebody new. And, um, and I didn't make them look bad. So we both have a fun story to tell.
2: Yep, all worked out for the both of you. You mentioned uh, becoming the first female to do a lot of things in the industry, and that leads me to my next question. Back in 2004, you're the first female pit reporter to cover the Indy 500. You did it again in oh seven, did it again in oh eight. You live in Indianapolis now, and knowing what that race means, not just to IndyCar, but to motorsports in general, and the overarching fabric of sports, not just in America but worldwide, how big was that for you to be involved in an event like that in the capacity that you were?
3: Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I think that as each year goes on, I appreciate that moment in 2004 sure. even more. I mean, I covered 11 of those races. It just kind of became part of the fabric of, yeah. of who I was. And, um, it is ironic that we live here in Indianapolis now and I don't cover the IndyCar series right. anymore. <laughs> Obviously it's another network, but, um, That moment, you know, when you look back, and I was by far the youngest broadcaster on the team, you look at the lineup, we have a photo of, um, it was our ABC announced team. I mean, you've got Paul Page in there. Um, Gosh, there was, who else was in there? Vince Welch was in there, Jack I mean, we had this lineup of producers and talent, Mm -hmm. and there's me right in the middle, tall, like standing in the middle with my fire suit on, just so proud. But I remember calling my mom the night before the actual race. And we had been there for two weeks covering everything leading up to it. But I remember calling her like, okay, there's, there's, I'm at the point of no return and I'm not sure what I got myself involved in, but here we are. (laughs) So tomorrow is like the biggest day of my career. And it, it truly was. And I don't think I looked at it as like, this is such a big race and there's so many eyeballs and the prestige of it. I looked at it like I'm here with all of these veteran broadcasters that I've looked up to I just can't let all of these people down that are looking at me, like giving me a shot. And, um, and it's, it's just an amazing race and it's so fast and so much happens in the danger level, all of those things. But it's now that I just appreciate really what that race is every year. It gets more. So how much I love it and how much that moment meant.
2: So let's reflect a little bit more. I mean, going in there, you, seems like you were a little bit nervous did you lean on any of the veteran broadcasters that were on the same team as you were they giving you some pump up speeches like what was going on leading up to the 500
3: yeah I think when you work amongst men like that that have been doing it for a long time there's that hesitation of of reaching out or wanting to ask them Mm -hmm. you know you just I feel like if they had something to say they would say it and they would Doc Punch gave me advice and um, different producers that's kind of their role to say okay this is you need to do here or there but at that point um you know i covered the indycar series for only a couple months and they knew what i was capable of but it was a big deal it was a totally different stratosphere for us but i did get that two weeks of practices the qualifying for indy was so long that I had interviewed everyone. I think Parnelli Jones cried in my interview. I interviewed AJ (laughs) Foyt multiple times. So they knew I was brave. Like I would talk to anybody and and the the bottom line is asking the right question. I would ask the right question. So I think that they were confident, but still when you're under pressure, it's like, okay, how is she gonna perform here? And it ended up being the longest broadcast um, on network history. Um, It was eight hours, 22 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my,
2: I did not know that. Yeah.
3: Yep, and we never left the air. We stayed live wow. the whole time.
2: I was eight years old, so I guess I wasn't watching, so I didn't know that. Why Thanks. was it so it was long? Not. Was there a delay or something?
3: <laughs> What's that?
2: Was there a delay or something? Is that why it was so long?
3: Yeah, yep. We had rain. There was tornado oh. warnings. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, Buddy Rice ended up winning. And I remember yeah, that, it was, yeah. It was uh, It was a wild, wild day, gosh. And then right when the race was over, the tornado sirens fired up again. And I'm like, I just had the best day of my life and my career. Now I'm going to die. i they're like, no, just... <laughs> You have to evacuate, go into the stands. I mean, I'm coming from the West Coast. I don't know what the heck that siren yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: That's so funny. Sorry I dated you a little bit, but uh it is what it is.
3: Hey, it is what it is, man. That's good. You've been a race fan a long time.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um uh, one more question about the Indy five hundred in general. Now, like when you watch it, since it's kind of ironic that you live in Indy and you're not covering IndyCar or that specific race. Do you look at that race, like watching it on television with a little bit of a different eye and a different lens to know all that goes into it from a behind the scenes aspect, not just from the television side, but also logistically on the grounds, right? And this year was different because of COVID, of course, but seeing the pre-race driver introductions, taps, the balloons back home again in indiana like everything i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it um like just watching that all happen on tv do you still get goosebumps thinking about it and watching it and do you have a better appreciation for how that all goes about
3: yeah absolutely i think i'm ruined now and my husband is too from watching just sports broadcasting in general because you know there's little things that you watch for whether it's the announcers or the production you know and and we're ruined and now that i'm learning all this stuff about play-by-play i mean things that I never really had to think about before it's like now I'm going to be ruined because every time I listen to somebody in play by play this is the checklist of like the don'ts you
2: know Yep.
3: so you look at it differently for sure but this year I actually got to be at the 500 because it was our off season and Mm -hmm. got to be part of it so it was very very different and like you said all those those chill moments um it, you know, they were there, but it was just so different. It was sad because of any race in the world to mess with, you can't no. mess with the 500 and, and no. they just had to deal with what they were dealt, you know,
2: just take a 500 mile race from Texas. Don't mess with Indy. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, please. exactly.
3: Let that, the people in.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, I agree with you too about, um, you know, like the nitpicky things, because I primarily work in graphics on a production team at NBC sports, Washington here. And, you oh, know, yeah. I'll be, I'll be watching like just a show on ESPN or NASCAR race hub or whatever. And I'll see a graphic and I'll be like, is that a typo? Am I just double thinking myself? Am I going crazy? <laughs> and it's you look at things so differently, once you actually do it. It's so
3: true. Once you learn, it's like you just look at things differently. And then you watch the people and you're like, this person maybe isn't as solid as I thought they were. This person is spectacular. Yeah. You know, there's just these little subtleties, thankfully, that the normal person doesn't see because it takes away from the experience when you mm-hmm. know everything about what it takes to, it to make it happen. It takes it away.
2: <laughs> I haven't um had to do this yet, and I hope I will one day. How do you manage having so much going on like during a race in your ear with your producer, the race feed? listening to the scanner, trying to form coherent sentences to produce them on live television, on national TV. I know it's cliche, but how do you manage that? Because from the outside, it just seems impossible.
3: Yeah, I think that a lot of that um, goes back to my live announcing days. So I worked, you know, I covered Supercross in the stadiums and there was that, that like five second delay almost where you'd speak and it, you'd hear your voice five more times. And I think then I even with the headset on, you you could hear it sometimes mm-hmm. at different stadiums, and I think that that really taught me then about that whole delay and to keep your train of thought and keep talking and, and power through it. And then yes, when you get to broadcasting like this, you have a lot of voices. You're scanning, so you have to listen to who's talking. Okay, the crew chief just said that. No, Chase Elliott just said. You know who <laughs> who said it. So when yeah. I report you know, I can be more specific. And sometimes you can't be more specific. You just say the team or the crew is thinking this or saying this, but yeah, you get to know like spotters, voices, crew chiefs, driver voices, but you have to know who's important. Like I need to be able to hear what my producer says, especially when she's like, throw to Regan next. Like sometimes you're like, I can't say, what did you say? Who am I throwing to? Like, you have to be you have to make sure you hear the right voices, but yet you're still picking up the other things. And you're listening to program the whole time because that's really what it comes down to. You have to listen to the program what the guys in the booth are saying so you can follow that ball and you can carry it forward. You're not just coming out of left field because you wanna talk about something. So there's a lot of little things, nuances, you have to work through hearing those voices.
2: You've been doing it for 20 years and you make it look so easy. And I'm sure a lot of people that are similar to you in terms of their experience level do the same but even just thinking about the first time to have all that going on i just i I even get stressed out it's ridiculous but you make it look so easy so good for you
3: (laughs) oh well thank you i'm sure that there's moments still that i mean i look like i'm crossed up because you'll hear like last minute changes in the truck and they're like no send it to him and and the driver's talking and i'm sure drivers have that moment like they're looking at you answering your question they see your head and they're like oh they're talking to her and they (laughs) say this, what they're saying. And yeah, it's, it's funny. There's nothing like TV. There's nothing like the adrenaline rush of live TV. And anytime I do something taped now, it's just, it's not the same, you know, I'm an energy person and there's nothing better than just when that camera goes on and that red lights on, you're going. And what you say is out to the world and there's no taking it back.
2: Uh, We talked about Mike Skinner and that wonderful helmet you got behind you. Real quick, can you just tell us a little bit about that? It was the 2008 Toyota Pro Celebrity Race, and you beat the truck champ, Mike Skinner. That driving school really paid off, I got to say.
3: Yes. So we all, every time, every year that Toyota would do that, the celebrities and the pros would all go out to um, the desert to this track, and we would spend three days together. Like, mm-hmm. there was no family, no nothing. It was just you guys. You hang out together. You eat together. You race together. Sounds We're so We're on fun. the track. It was willow springs a lot of people have heard of that racetrack out there a lot of drivers have gone to that track to learn you know there's their craft yeah. at road course racing um so i got to do it twice but my first year was 2008 and i remember like tony stewart and kevin harvick they knew i was going to do this they're like break a leg you know like they're saying these things like yeah i have fun with it I'm just not thinking anything and i'm like i go out to do something to win i don't yeah. i don't want to just go out there to learn um so the race happens and I'm working my way through the field. I get through all of the celebrities because the pros had to start behind the um, the celebrities. Right. Yeah, the pros had to start in the back. So Mike Skinner's coming and they, they brought out the checkered flag a lap early. Something happened. Yeah, it was something like that. No, they brought out the white flag twice. So what I knew in my mind, like this race is over. So I see Mike all over my bumper, like he is running me all over. So we go through this hairpin and I hold him off right as we go to the finish line. I cross first, then we get down into the next corner and he passes me and I'm like, the race is over. Even though the white flag was out, I know the race is over. So it was so controversial and crazy, but, um, there was nothing (laughs) like it. we were on the podium together, spraying champagne and I beat Mike Skinner. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing from Tony Stewart and Kevin Harvick, like, damn girl, we didn't know you were actually going to go out and do something with it. (laughs) That was really cool. (laughs)
2: That's amazing. What kind of cars were you guys racing?
3: Uh, the Toyota Scion. So I actually have a replica of it right here. So this was is. actually it. And exactly it's got your name it, on it too. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So that, was that like
2: that, legitimately the actual, like that's a die cast of the car you drove?
3: That's a die cast of the car. Yeah. It's uh, it's legit. My kids play with them now. So yeah, I, I mean, they're it's so cool. Oh yeah. The bumper. So you knew who everybody was in oh, their yeah. cars. Yeah. That was uh, incredible. That experience, my parents were there and then. I'll tell you what, um, I thought I was dreaming. Like it was the most fun. I was, you know, doing all the media and everything. And of course, it's racing media. You know, they all know me and we all work together. And I'm covering the IndyCar race the next day. Um, I woke up the day of the race the next morning after the pro celebrity race. And there was the newspaper, the Long Beach, uh, I forget what it was, Telegraph or Long Beach, whatever. And I'm on the front page. I'm like, this is the IndyCar race day. And I'm on the front page (laughs) for winning. It was one of the coolest days of my life yeah
2: wow did did um did you like give tony and kevin and all the other guys that were giving you crap going in did you give them some crap back and be like yeah i can actually do this by the way
3: yeah well them just having to say like wow and be surprised and even notice it was on speed channels so people got yeah. to see it kevin made fun of my elbows like i i raced with my <laughs> elbows up but um it was all good i mean those are the types of things i always wanted to earn respect and credibility not just being able to talk about a sport. And that's why I put myself through probably eight racing schools, um, did anything I could to get on a racetrack in a real car and do it just, just to understand, you know, not just talk about it, but feel it and know it and understand it.
2: Yeah, totally makes sense. You mentioned credibility and, um, I know we only got five or so minutes left here. So I want to touch on how you've been a role model and an influence to women in motorsports broadcasting in general. I mean, when you think of Personally, me, when I think of the names, Shannon Spake, Wendy Venturini, Caitlin Vinci, Lindsey Zarniak, Kelly Stavest, one of my really good friends, Heather Debo, I mean, you've been around for just as long, if not longer than almost all of them, and you've helped pave the way to what they're doing right now, which is making a name for themselves in the realm of motorsports broadcasting as well. Have you been able to sit back for a second and appreciate the fact that you have been a trailblazer of sorts? And I know it's, it's tough for anybody to look on themselves selfishly and be like, Yeah, I did that. I'm badass. But <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you did that. You're a badass. So, do you Aww. ever get the chance to reflect on that?
3: You're sweet. I don't know. I mean, n- not so much because I mean, I, I feel like kind of like Danica Patrick looked at it. She just, She wanted to be known as a good race car driver and I always just wanted to be appreciated and accepted as a reporter, not the female reporter, you know, I don't want to be the best female pit reporter. Um, I always just kind of wanted to blend in with the guys and be as good as them. That's all I really wanted to Mm -hmm. do. And if I could be the first in anything because of my tenacity or because I'm brave or because i'm dumb <laughs> to push these things and say i want to be the first well um i'm happy to be that person but if this opens up doors for more women in motorsports to get that opportunity the you know the producers say man let's let's try her out let's put her in the booth and see what she can do well, that's all you could ask for is just you don't know until you see somebody do it. And that's why I give Fox so much credit and NASCAR and the ARCA series for saying, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's make it look different and sound different and try something new. So um, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think that just like they always say, you you appreciate it down the road. Like, man, that was cool that I got to yeah. be the first to do that or that I was given that first opportunity. I don't know if I necessarily you know, did it myself. I'm not any better than any of them. It's just, I was the one that was given that opportunity. Mm-hmm.
2: Makes sense for sure. Professional transition by you. Cause one of my last questions I want to, of course, ask about Arca we've, we've gone this far. haven't even chatted about it, but you, you tweeted uh, something that I think was really kind of cool and inspirational. I think it was, yeah. Goals are dreams with the deadline. And you said that deadline is February, whatever, when the Arca races. So, I mean, have you reflected on that in the last couple weeks or so, the fact that you're making history yet again and to work with the fine folks at ARCA and a series that is as, as historic as that one is, I dress for the occasion, of course, you're going to be doing this thing big, big time. And it's going to be really fun to watch um, in the last couple of weeks. You know, what have your emotions and feelings been like towards the whole thing?
3: It's been all over the place. I mean, the outpouring of support, just what I've heard from fans to fellow reporters to people that aren't even involved in racing. I mean, it's really been incredible. You, you I guess you put the first time for something and it really yeah. gets people's attention. So I'm appreciative of that. Hopefully we get some more eyeballs watching the ARCA race just to check out the chick and see what it sounds like and how she <laughs> does it. You know, I, I hope that that is the case. Um, we've already been working hard. I did a full-blown rehearsal called a race with Phil Parsons on Monday over Zoom, by the How'd way, with producers. Um, I think it went well. You know, yep. I have to get a baseline and then we work from there and critique mm-hmm. and and change some things. And um, I feel like I'm a rookie all over again where I'm getting critiqued on my work. So that's kind of <laughs> weird. Um, but there, I've, I've dreamt about the ARCA series about every night. I mean, there is definitely stress and nerves, but I love that. I thrive on that. I love pressure, but I want to figure it out. I want to dial it in. I want to know that when we get to Daytona, I'm going to feel confident in what, I, what I'm going to do because of all places, it's freaking Daytona. It's the biggest race of the year. So yep. I don't want to mess it up. I just, I want to be myself. I want to have fun and um, I want to bring something maybe a little different.
2: Well, if you're yourself, you won't mess it up. I got I got some confidence in that. Um, Jamie, this <laughs> has been a better
3: amazing. job of faking it, right? <laughs> yes,
2: of course. Of course. Jamie, this has been amazing. Um, we ran out of time. I have so much more that I want to cover with you. So we'll have to try to do a part two of these. Um, we didn't even talk about Jimmy John's, nothing but cakes, your husband, uh, interviewing the president at Daytona you being an actress, a philanthropist, an author. I mean, we didn't even touch on any of that. So we'll have to Look, do this again. You. I
3: need to hire you for my PR guy.
2: Hey, I'm available. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. family. I couldn't be doing this without my husband, I have to say. We're celebrating yep. our 10-year anniversary this week. And uh, wow, congrats. so I'm very appreciative. He gets the dogs and the kids to be quiet so I can do Zoom calls all the time and travel <laughs> all over the country. So it takes a team for sure.
2: Yes, it does. Well, we'll do this again. This is part one. We got to do part two. But Jamie, this has been honestly a real thrill thrill for me. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It was great getting to chat a little bit.
3: Absolutely, Davey. Thanks for reaching out. Good job by you.
2: And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Jamie. As I said, I didn't write part one in the interview title, but just know that there's a lot more to cover with Jamie and that will be coming sometime soon hopefully in the next couple months or so we'll get her back on to discuss the parts that I wasn't able to get to like she owns a nothing but cakes franchise she owns two Jimmy John's franchises and she works out like crazy and she's able to stay in such great shape while having bread sandwiches cake all surrounded by her and I just want to know how she does that because that's impressive but again Jamie thank you so much for your time thank you for letting me learn a little bit more about your story and I hope that all the listeners are thankful as well. Let's close it out, people. Look, that's after week. Cue that week. Cute, funky music, white boy. Sponsors for 2311 Racing were announced this week. They are Dr. Pepper, McDonald's, Columbia, Root Insurance, and DoorDash. Now, DoorDash and Columbia, as well as Dr. Pepper, they follow Bubba from last year. McDonald's also was a sponsor of Bubba's last year, but they will remain with Chip Ganassi Racing because they have been over there on the 42 car and the one car for a handful of years now. Root Insurance did not debut last year, but in the off-season, or maybe right before the season ended, they announced that they were going to be partnering with Bubba. They're a new brand, and they had debuted a really cool spot, so excited to see what they have to do in the world of NASCAR. Plus, 2311, they dropped some merch last night at the time of this recording. And they sold out in five minutes. So you guys already know that they are on another level when it comes to interest right now in NASCAR. Circuit of the Americas, they will have the Formula One 20-turn layout on their track when NASCAR makes their trip to Austin later this upcoming summer. I'm really hoping that everything is better on the COVID front, of things, because I would love to head out there to not only see the town of Austin, but see the damn race. Because it's going to be really fun to watch. The Darlington throwback weekend is moving to the spring instead of the fall weekend, which will be the playoff opener. I think this is a mix of them wanting the playoff opener to stand on its own as well as the Southern 500 and not mix the playoff opener with the Southern 500 with throwback weekend. Some people are for it. Some people are eh about it. I'm more so eh and for it just because I think the more uh, marquee events that you could spread out over the year, the better. And I think they're doing that with this move. Silly season update for this week, Riley Herbst officially was announced to the 98 of Stuart Haas Racing. And I wrote Tyler Reddick in my notes, but I think that might be muscle memory. (laughs) Myatt Snyder is gonna drive the number two car at RCR Racing full time next year. So Herbst at the 98, Snyder to the two. Colby Howard also running full time for JD Motorsports in the 15. Matt Mills running to the number five full time for BJ McLeod Motorsports. And on the IndyCar front, Juan Pablo Montoya, he's going to be running the Indy 500 this year for McLaren. Two-time winner of that race, did it, uh, I think, like four or so years ago, which seems kind of nuts with Penske, so we'll see if he can make it three for JPM. I don't know if I touched on in the past couple weeks, but Auto Club Speedway will not be on the schedule next year. Uh, Because of COVID concerns, NASCAR decided to get out ahead of that and move their race to the Daytona road course. And the reconfiguration from the two-mile oval to the short track, it's going to be pushed back a year. So hopefully they'll be ready to go by 2023. They're going to have one more race in 2021 on the two-mile layout, and then they will get cracking on the renovations. That is all for this week of Victory Lane, party people. Episode 86 has come and gone. Two marquee guests. We had Jamie Little and chick hicks on the show so it was fun getting to hear from both of them but jamie more so yes i know she was amazing next week we'll be back with another guest from the nascar world not sure who it's going to be again you're going to have to wait a little bit for that part two of our my conversation with jamie but you can bet your bottom dial that it'll be somebody interesting and we'll have a great time discussing whatever we choose to right here on victory lane until then stay safe stay inside keep washing those hands I'll talk to you before, but have a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to all my homies out there. Haven't told them that in a little bit. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Boxing Day. Uh, Happy early New Year's, I guess. I don't know. I'll shut up and get out of your hair. Peace and love, my dudes. Catch you on the flip side.